This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Craig Cabanis, the lead pastor, is the speaker for this message. You can open up your Bibles to Colossians 3. Uh, We're going through the book of Colossians. Uh, Let me just uh, echo Rob's words and say uh, happy Father's Day uh, to all the fathers in the room. And uh, we are going through Colossians, the uh, book in the New Testament. If you have a Bible, you can turn there to chapter 3 or if you have a device. If you don't, there's a Bible under the seat in front of you. You could turn to page 573 and uh, you'll be able to see where we are today, where we're going from Colossians uh, chapter 3. Now, it just so happens we've been working verse by verse through this book, and it just so happens that we landed today where we would normally be is two verses from a passage uh, addressing fathers. So I'm skipping those two verses. For those who have to have everything in order, that's going to be like a major challenge. I'm sorry. But I'm skipping those two verses, verses 18 and 19. We should be on 18 today. It speaks to wives. 19 speaks to husbands. 20 and 21 speak to children and fathers. So I'm going to speak, I'm going to do that passage uh, for us today. Look at verses 20 and verses 21. But before I do, I want to read where we've been last week because it totally informs. These aren't just verses that are just randomly thrown out there uh, like they're a family, um, you know, you know kind of like family counseling verses or something like that. It's in a context. So look back at verse 12. It'll probably be the same page, 573. Back at verse 12, I'm going to read that. Then I'm going to skip down and read today's verse, then I'm going to pray. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Verse 14, and above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Now today's verse, verse 20. Children, Obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Verse 21, fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that all that we learn of Christ, um, how he changes our lives, that, it, that it's to touch all of our life, our work life, our, our friendships, our hobbies, our eating, our festivities, everything of our life, and including our families. And so we pray today that you would speak to us, uh, speak to kids who are under their parents' care and authority, speak to parents, and uh, pray that you would speak to all of us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I realize that everybody here is not a father. Uh, probably a, a small percentage of the room is, is a father. Uh, and I realize that not everybody here is a, a young person uh, under their parents' authority. So uh, I get that. So there's a lot of us for whom maybe this passage would seem like it doesn't uh, register as much. But I, I want to encourage you that I believe there's something here for all of us because the point is that I read from last week is that the gospel changes us and it changes our heart and our motivation so that we relate to people differently. And if you're not a child under your parents' authority, and if you're not a parent, here's where I want to encourage you to make an application. Every one of us um, are under authority in some way. 
You're under your government's authority. You're under your boss's authority. Every one of us has some authority in our life, even if we're grown and not children. And many of us, most of us, exercise authority. So you are a boss. Um, you coach the kids' soccer team. Uh, some, somewhere you have some kind of responsibility. You're teaching in children's ministry. You know, you teach or something like that. So where you are an authority in some way as well. So what we're going to find out here, it totally applies to those who are in authority, who exercise it, and those under authority. It says that we're to exercise authority in a certain way in light of the gospel, and we're to respond to authority in a certain way. So that's the last thing I'm going to say about that. I'm not going to make running applications to dads and kids and managers and, like I said, soccer coaches and those who, you know, I'm not going to do that. So I'm going to let you make those connections if you're not a kid or a parent. Uh, But just know this does relate in how we exercise authority and how we respond to authority. So here's where we've been the past couple weeks. Paul is addressing false teaching and in the book of Colossians. The Colossians are new Christians and now there's some people giving some fake messages about what it means to follow Christ. And they're saying this, if you want to grow in Jesus, if you want to be, so they're new Christians. And they're saying, okay, if you want to mature as a Christian, here's what you need. You need Jesus plus Some of them are saying you need Jewish laws. So you got to do Jewish festivals. you got to get circumcised if you're a male. you got to do these Jewish things. And Paul's saying, no, you don't need Jesus plus Jewish things. Or others are saying you need Jesus plus a mystical experience, a vision. Then you'll really grow. And he says, no, you don't need Jesus plus visions of angels to grow in the Lord. Other people are saying you need Jesus plus really harsh treatment of your body. Restrict yourself. Be super, uh, you know, sort of restrictive to show that you're godly and to grow in godliness. He says, no, you don't need any of this. Here's what he says you need if you want to grow in godliness. You need to believe that you died and rose in in Christ. If you are a Christian, that means you put your faith in Jesus. It means you went back and when Jesus died, that was you. He died for you, but you're in him, you're with him. And when he rose, you rose with him. So here's what that means today, is that you've risen to a new life. So be who you already are in Christ. Walk out your new life. Put on, he says what we just read today, put on the new life, which is what? Compassionate heart, kindness, humility, meekness. He's saying you have to encounter Jesus so that he changes your heart. It's not a bunch of new rules or a bunch of visions. It's a changed person because you've encountered Christ. So that's what he says. And now he gives a context for how, that, how you live that out. So it's interesting, he hasn't given us any concrete context yet. So far he's just saying, show humility to one another, love one another. But now he's super specific. Now he's saying, okay, let's walk this out in daily life. So wives, you do this. Husbands, you do this. Children, you do this. Parents, you do this. So now he's giving these real specific ways that this works itself out. At the beginning of Tolstoy's book, Anna Karenina, he, he makes a very interesting statement where he says, all happy families are more or less like one another. Every unhappy family is unhappy in its own particular way. And, and he's making this point. He's saying that family life can go wrong, can get off, rail, off the rails in a million ways. A million ways family life can go bad. But, if I can use his statement, for the Christian, for the Christian family, when the family life goes right, it's going to be because of one primary thing. And the primary thing is going to be, we are going to treat one another as Jesus has treated us. 
That's the key. I mean, there could be a lot of, and that we all, a lot of parents want like a manual. What are the steps of what I do? And Paul doesn't give us a manual. I mean, he's given us three chapters here about knowing Christ and walking with Christ. And then he just says, children, obey your parents. Uh, uh, fathers, don't provoke your children to discouragement. Boom, that's it. We didn't get a hundred principles, but we got everything that came before it, which says we're to relate to other people as Christ has related to us. That's to change us so that we relate to them differently. So think about how Christ has related to you. Look at verse 12. Not our passage. I know it was last week. But he says, God's chosen you. That's how God related to you. He adopted you into his family. He's, uh, he's, uh, you're, you're holy. Why? Because Jesus died for you. He gave his life to declare you holy. You're beloved, he says. You are loved. So he's saying all this behavior flows from your identity of who you are in Christ, how God's treated you. And uh, we, here's, what we, here's what religion says. You act this way and do these good deeds so God will accept you. The gospel says you're accepted because what Jesus did. Let him change you and now you do these things. Totally different point of view. And now he's saying here's how that applies in the family. Because of what God has done for you, you're now empowered to live this new life. Compassion, humility, forgiveness, all these kinds of things. Dad's Father's Day. We're to relate to our children with compassion and with kindness. And the motive of that, the power of that, all comes because of the way God has related to us. I heard a story this last week. It's about a family. I was really moved by this story. It was about a family. They went on vacation to Florida. They come back, and when they get back, there is a traumatic event. The traumatic event is they cannot find their son's stuffed animal, Joshy the giraffe. And the reason that's traumatic is because their son has never gone to sleep without Joshy the giraffe. And so now we got a problem because we got a kid who needs to sleep and we have taken away his, uh, his Joshy. So what is he going to do? And if you've ever had a kid like that who was attached to one blankie or something, you're all feeling this dad's pain. And so what this dad said he did was he said, so I told a white lie. This is a sermon on parenting, by the way. So he says, uh, I told a white lie, and this is what I told my kid. Joshy the giraffe isn't here because he's still on vacation enjoying an adventure like we just had. He's still on vacation at the resort. And somehow the kid bought it, and the kid went to sleep. But he's like, what's going to happen tomorrow? You know, this, this might work one night. So after this happened, he literally gets a call, actually gets a call, from the hotel, and they say, we found your kid's giraffe. Uh, and the dad says, great. And he tells him what he did. He says, look, this is really important to my kid. And I actually had to tell him an untruth. I had to tell him that he was still on vacation. So could, this sounds crazy, but could you do me a favor? Could you take a picture of jo- <laughs> Joshy at the resort? And then I'll be okay with my kid, you know? And uh, he can get therapy as an adult or something. I don't know. But, uh, but I'll be okay with my kid. So a couple of days pass, and a package comes in the mail. And in the package is all kind of swag from the hotel. They have like a Frisbee for the kid with the hotel logo on it. They have a football with the hotel logo, all this kind of stuff. Joshy is in there. So Joshy the giraffe is returned, and there's a bound book of photos. And they open up the photos, and there is Joshy on a lounge chair by the pool with sunglasses on, having a vacation. Then there's a picture of Joshy 
actually getting a massage. He's on a table, and a lady's massaging his shoulders, shoulders, and he's got two cucumbers. I saw the picture. He's got two cucumbers over his eye. And then there's a picture of Joshi with a bunch of other stuffed animals. I don't know if these were all lost and found, but with a bunch of other stuffed animals explaining that he had some other friends on the adventure, the other stuffed animals. And then there's a picture of Joshi on a golf cart, driving a golf cart right by the beach. And uh, then there's a picture. They made him a name tag because loss prevention had ultimately gotten him and uh, found him. And so uh, the, the security has him. They made a name tag, Joshy. He's got a name tag, and he's in the booth where all the cameras are, the security cameras. And he's looking at the cameras, helping the people do security on the campus. And uh, so they did this whole book for him to demonstrate that Joshy uh, had this adventure. And when I heard that story, I was so moved by that. And because I was thinking about this subject, my instant impulse was to say, you know what, that is powerful. I want to be kind. I want to be thoughtful um, as a human being and as a dad. And I thought, well, that'd be a great illustration. And my point was going to be to say, hey, you know what, if a hotel can show that kind of kindness, how much more we as dads can show that kind of kindness. Then I thought, that's not the point of the text. That's a great story and a great example. But the point of the text is not to look around and say, who's like really kind? We can learn from examples, but who's really kind? Who's compassionate? Let me be like that. The point of the text is not to look horizontally, but to look vertically and say, how has God treated me? His kindness is so overwhelming. As moving as that story is, they may not have been Christians, but as image bearers of God, it demonstrated by common grace, the kindness of God. But what has God done for me? When I was his enemy, he gave his life for me, loving me, caring for me on the cross, dying in my place, being raised uh, so that I could have new life. And so ultimately, these, the kindness is not merely motivated by what we see other people do, but what God has done for us. That is the ultimate example of compassion, humility, meekness, patience, everything that's expressed in verses 12 and 13. Forgiveness, bearing with one another. So we want to look vertically and say, Lord, how have you treated me? How should I treat others in response? So that's really the heart of all this. Here's a concrete example, parents and kids. So let's start. What does new life look like for children? What is new life? So he's talked, the whole passage has been, you have new life in Christ. What does it look like? Verse 20, children, obey your parents in everything. Now, even if the kids aren't converted, the idea is that as new Christians, the Colossians are new Christians, their family life is going to be headed a new direction. They're going to be trying to live for the Lord, uh, worshiping him. This is a new religion to them. It's a new religion in the area. It's a new religion in the world, ultimately, the Christian faith is. Um, and so, they are, so they're, they're going to be living in a new way. And he actually addresses these children uh, and he tells them this, obey, your children, obey your parents in the, in the Lord. The, the word obey is a, uh, is a word that comes from two Greek words, meaning to lis- listen and under. And so he's saying to them, kids, you are, God has given you an authority. You are under your parents' authority, so listen under them with the implication that you listen and do what they tell you to do. The implication is that you are to obey uh, for, uh, for they are given to you by the Lord. And it, here's the key. It's ultimately when you obey your parents, and this is true for everyone under authority. 
when you obey them with the right heart towards the Lord, it's obedience to the Lord. So that's really the key. This is how you obey the Lord. You listen under the authorities he's given you like your parents, and then you respond. Now, this is clearly talking about people. This isn't talking about uh, young adults, people who are on their own. It's talking about people who are in the home under their parents' authority, that kind of a thing. So he says, obey your parents in everything. And I want to talk about that for a minute. Does that really mean everything? Uh, I think it's important to talk about that for just a second because the cultural moment we're in uh, where there are various abuses of authority throughout culture. So uh, does it mean literally every, actually everything? Well, let's, let's build a little context on this. First of all, these are children who are at a new church hearing, being addressed personally. So the assumption is they're there with their parents. These are probably Christian parents. I think it's safe to assume. They, unless they had a bus ministry back in that day bringing kids in, like when I was growing up or something. It's probably actual parent, Christian parents. And so the assumption is these are not parents who would require their kids to disobey God. The assumption is these are parents that would require their kids to obey God. Imperfect parents, sinful parents for sure, but parents who would want their kids to obey God. So the assumption here is that the instruction that will be given to the kids that they are to obey would not be a, would not be a, a, a call to disobey God. Um, that's why in Ephesians 6, this parallel passage says, children obey your parents in the Lord, in the Lord, there is a proviso sort of written there. Um, there's a principle in Scripture that when God, give, God is an authority, and there's other human authorities, that when, when the human authority says one thing and God says something else, you go with God and not the human authority. That's why civil disobedience is appropriate at times. It's, it's appropriate to disobey your government at times. There's an example of that in the New Testament where the apostles are preaching and they're told by the authorities, you may not preach the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And they say, well, if we have to choose between obeying man or obeying God, we're going to obey God. And at the risk of imprisonment or death, which happens, uh, we're going to preach the gospel. We have to do that. We have to obey God. We can't obey you. Um, and so the, the, que- so the question becomes, when, uh, what is everything? Would there ever be a time when a kid, uh, a young person, should disobey parental authority? I can think of a few, but I'm only going to share one. One would be, I think, in the case of abuse. Abuse is rampant in our culture. The studies, are, the studies say that one in three women will be sexually abused, uh, in her lifetime, and one in six or so men will. Most of those happen uh, as people are growing up, and many of those happen with fam- uh, being abused by family members, uh, grievously or sadly. If a parent abuses a child physically or sexually, uh, there is often, uh, without fail, a requirement that you must not tell anybody about this. And um, in the most heinous, evil form of that, there would be abuse from a, Christ, from a professing Christian, from a professing Christian parent who says, I'm the authority, you must not tell anybody what's happened to you. Or it could be a situation where the parents find out that someone else has abused the child. And the parent comes and says, now this is kind of, we're keeping this in the family. You may not tell anybody what uncle or uh, whatever did. This is staying in the family. You may not tell. Well, th- that would be a 
very clear example where the, the, the young person would be more than free, would be encouraged to share the news of that abuse with, a tr- with the authorities, or if they're young, with a trusted adult who would go to the authorities. Um, and that's the appropriate thing to do to stop the abusive behavior in the person who's using parental authority to not only harm a child, but then to reiterate that harm by telling them they could not tell someone else. So that would be an example where, now I don't give that example to shame anyone in the room. If you've been abused and perhaps your parents said you're not to tell that and you didn't, I don't share that example at all in any way to compound the suffering you've already experienced. That's not the point of the illustration. The point of the illustration is that if someone would say you're under authority, you must do what the authority says, that would be a very clear example where a child um, does not have, should not, or does not have to uh, obey that kind of authority. So unless you're being asked to do something sinful or unless you're being harmed or something like that, generally speaking, when it says children obey your parents and everything, it means everything. And he says why. Why is it appropriate? Because, verse 20, it pleases the Lord. One of the major ways a teenager, a you know, in, in, in the service right now are middle school and high schoolers. Um, and maybe there's some elementary kids here too. But, but the major way that a young person can live their life for the Lord, one major way of demonstrating following Jesus is honoring and obeying your parents. And that means from the heart. That means not, it doesn't mean I'm doing it on the outside, but in the heart, I, I'm, you know, not doing it. it. It means like when you're not in your parents' presence uh, and your parents aren't there, maybe you're middle school, you're getting an opportunity to go out and do some things away from your parents you haven't had an opportunity before, maybe you're high school. And that means you're still obeying them because you're doing what you would know they would want you to do if they were in the room. It's that kind of obedience because that pleases the Lord. Why? Because he gave you them, and that's honoring him when you honor them. He's pleased when you obey from your heart the authorities that he's placed in your life, especially your parents. And sometimes young people who want to serve the Lord can feel so limited. Like, what do I do? I I mean, you know, I can't, maybe I'm too young to drive, or maybe you can drive, but you don't have your own car, or maybe you don't have much money. And you go, like, what can I really do? When I'm an adult, I could serve the Lord. What could I really do now to serve the Lord? And sometimes we think of, I can remember being a young person wanting to serve the Lord and thinking, like, in high school, my, my, uh, my last two years of high school, thinking, you know, what can I really do? And so things come to mind, like, go on a mission trip. That would be really serving the Lord to get out and share the gospel. Or maybe tell a, somebody about Jesus in my school. Or maybe befriend a person that is you know, that other people are um, rejecting. You know, befriend someone who's rejected. Those are all, I believe, radical steps for a, for a young person to follow the Lord. Witnessing, taking a stand for Christ, uh, extending yourself to someone in another country or something, uh, and befriending some. Those would be great examples. But I want to say one of the most radical examples, maybe more radical than all of those, is to obey your parents. I think if you're a high school student, I hope you go on the mission trip. But could I just say this? It's way, way easier to go on a mission trip than to obey your parents and everything. It's in your heart. Okay, in your heart. Way easier. Because I'm around people that probably aren't, I, I mean, I'm just, I'm just on a mission trip. I'm just having a, this radical experience. It's in another culture. 
you know, we're caring for orphans. You just, you're, that's the heartbeat of the Lord, caring for the weak. And you're doing it, and you sense the Lord. There's this team unity, and everybody's having a great time together, and you're making memories, and even the bad stuff you're going to laugh about on the, on the van trip on the way back home and all that kind of stuff. And you should go on the trip, and it will shape your life, and it is powerful. But in terms of radical discipleship, dying to myself, I, I want to say I'm not sure much is more radical than obeying your parents. In everything. And I also want to say this it's huge because it's huge for your siblings, it's huge, huge for your parents, it's huge for your future. I hope you know that there are people my age in the room and throughout this city that never learned to respond appropriately to authority as a young person, and they're still struggling because of that. They still have problems in their job, they're still getting a review that's bad once a year because they're the person that's got to raise their hand and complain and cause drama down at the office and be just be a pain and just be a pain uh they're they're that person and uh and you know why that is the lord can change any of us the lord can change any of us at any age i'm not saying you can't get changed as an adult you can but i'm saying why not get on the pathway right now because there are adults younger than me and my age and older who are still wrestling because they never got this verse as a young person. They always just did what they want or faked it. They were fake church kid and now they're like fake adult and it's never changed their heart and it's, a, it's impacted their relationships. It's impacted their marriage. It's impacted their job. So it's a huge trajectory of your life to get this one right right now. And then lastly, it's a huge one because it pleases the Lord. That's the, it's not really about your job or your parents. It's really about pleasing the Lord. This pleases the Lord. How do you do that as a teenager? Man, I can only tell you because it was very hard for me as a teenager. And I had, I had great parents, but it was very, very hard for me in my heart to do that. But... I'm going to tell you the way you do it, it's only verse 12. You, you have to see your identity. You're chosen in Christ. He died to declare you holy. He loves you. You have to get in your head, how has Christ treated me? What has God done for me? How is he related lovingly to me? Lord, melt my heart with that truth. Help me to be repentant and then help me to respond to my parents, even in their imperfections. Notice it never says your parents are always right or even usually right. It just says obey them. So this isn't a statement that you got perfect parents. You don't. My kids didn't. I didn't. You don't. But it's saying that you want to have be so. The, how did the Lord treat you? He loved you in your sin. He, he cared for He humbled himself to die for you even when you weren't looking for him. So how much more are our parents is what he's saying. Okay, that's new life for kids. Next, new life for fathers. A new life in Christ is to be expressed through a father's relationship with his children. So what does it say? He says, fathers... Verse 21, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Why does he say fathers and not mothers? Well, here's the reason. Because the culture he was writing into, Colossae was a city that was under Roman rule. And there was literally Roman law, patria potestas, or some Latin phrase like this, which means the power of the father. And I probably said that wrong. But the power of the father is what the law was. And a father could actually sell his kid into slavery. One, one source I read said that a father could actually execute his child without a trial. So there was absolute, complete authority of a parent over a kid under Roman law. And so you're under that law, 
That's the way your dad treated you. I mean, that's the way your dad related to you. That's the way most of the people in the culture relate. All of a sudden, the family becomes Christian. You go down to First Church of Colossae, and you're hearing, oh, we do it differently in the church. Uh, fathers, I don't care what the law says. You don't relate to your kids where authority is the first thing they're aware of. You relate to your kids so that relationship is the goal. That's what they are to first be aware of. This was a culture where fathers were notoriously harsh and heavy-handed and had strict, I mean, had real, could make real threats of harm to their child. There weren't social services that protected or authorities that protected children, that put the child's interest at heart like we have. So praise God that we have that in our culture, uh, protection for children. We live in a, a context like that. So Um, This is radical what's going on in this passage. First of all, children are being addressed by an authority, Paul, and they're being told, you can personally please the Lord. They're saying, you matter, you're an individual, you have a calling on your life as a kid. That does not exist in the first century. In the first century, there's clearly kids, you better obey or you're in big trouble. But there's nobody you better obey because that's pleasing the Lord. This has to do with your relationship with God. You're doing it not because you're afraid of your earthly father. You're doing it because you love your heavenly father. Totally radical. And then there is this radical thing about dads. Hey, Paul's saying, dads, I'm going to tell you one thing. Don't discourage your kid. Don't use your authority in a way that will provoke your child. Sometimes it's translated embitter your child. Sometimes it's exasperate your child. That's the one thing he says which would have been totally countercultural. Don't exasperate your child. You are to use your authority for their good. What is that? It's to raise them to know the Lord, to experience Christ, to reflect Jesus to them, to treat them as Christ has treated you, that sort of a thing. Um, it's pretty amazing that when you think about this, we can look at this and go, well, like I said earlier, we only get a couple of sentences about, we only get one sentence about child rearing and one sentence about being a child. But we get a whole book saying, this is how God wants to change you. The Christian faith's not, here's the Christian family rules. The Christian faith is, here is Jesus. And look what he has done for you. And, and uh, when he died, you rejoined him. You're in him. He's in you. The Holy Spirit of God is in you to make you a different person. Not to make you sort of put into practice some new principles, but to be different from the inside. That's the whole thing of the Christian life. It's you're forgiven and empowered to be a new person. So he says, put on the new life. He says, take off the old life. And he uses the example of clothing. He says, strip off your old life. What was your old life? He says it was sexual immorality, it was slander, it was anger, it was malice, all this stuff. He says, put on clothing, put on your new life. What's that? Humility, meekness, gentleness. We talked about all that last week. Forgiveness, love, love, put on love. And so he's saying, you be a changed person and that then allow that to inform and direct your parenting. That's what he's talking about here. That's the context. How has God treated me? I was thinking about this question. When I shared the illustration about the story earlier, I thought, yeah, it is a good story, and it is a good example, but I thought really the parenting question or the Christian question is this. How has God treated me? Not not what's the best example of kindness I can think of. Not a bad question, but the better question is this. How has God treated me? How has God treated me? Does God relate to me just when I'm good? Is he just nice to me when I'm loving to me when I'm good? So he's just loving to me when I fulfill all his expectations. If so, I would never touch, touch his love because I'm a sinner. 
how has God related to me? That's the question. So primarily Paul is forbidding here the kind of harsh discipline that discourages a child so that they give up. That would have been common in the culture. He doesn't want the kids to give up. So we can do that to our children. At various times I know I've done that to my own children. We can discourage them when we just constantly ride them with criticism. That would be one way. Or when we berate them frequently. Or when we discipline them inconsistently. The way that kind of works is maybe you discipline your younger kid. In partic- I'm thinking of younger kids in particular here. And, but maybe you don't want to get off the sofa. The games, you don't want to get and deal with the issue. So you don't discipline consistently. It's just when you can't take it anymore. How many times have I told you I'm trying to watch a game? How many times have I told you? And then you discipline when you've been adequately inconvenienced. As opposed to a consistent, consistent, loving, rational, reasonable discipline can be biblical and is. How does the Lord discipline me? The Lord disciplines all of us. Hebrews says if the Lord, any father loves his kid, would discipline them. The Lord disciplines us. So that would be one. Another one would be uh, we exasperate them, take the wind out of their sails. When we hold them to a standard, we don't hold ourselves to. This is so difficult. This is relevant if you're a boss, relevant for anything. But when we're angry, expressing anger to our kids, especially over their anger, when our anger is permissible but theirs is punishable, that's a problem. It doesn't mean we don't address their anger, but it means we must address our own. It's exasperating when you say, do as I say, not as I do, and not as I hardly ever do, especially. That's really when it's bad. It's like, I don't hardly ever do this, but I'm requiring you to do it all the time. When we give them the law without the gospel, what does that mean? Well, the Bible has a lot of laws in it, a lot of rules. And one of the purposes, the law has several purposes in the Bible, the Old Testament law in particular. But one of the purposes of the law is this, and this is going to sound strong. But the law is to crush us. By that, we're to read the law and go, wow, love God with all my heart, soul, mind, strength? I can't do that. I am to feel a sense of failure before God in that. Why? Because then I run to Christ and receive forgiveness. Yes, I have not loved you, Lord. Please forgive me. And I receive a warm embrace from God the Father. I, I come to Christ and, and I'm well, the, the, the law makes me feel Uh, guilty, because I am, so that I receive forgiveness and then power to change. And then the Holy Spirit gives us power to then live that out more and more. So now I am able to love the Lord more than I used to because of the process of forgiveness, repentance, receiving power for change. And so if we don't give forgiveness and point them to Christ who gives power to change, but it's just law, law, here's what you did, here's what you didn't do, here's what you're supposed to do, here's what you must do, and there's the implication, unless you do this, you're not loved. There's no hope, and that's exasperating. But the gospel says, let's be honest, the gospel is not everybody's a good person. No, the gospel is, no, you're a sinner. So's dad. So's mom. So's everybody down at the church. So everybody's a sinner, but Jesus died for sinners. So the good news is your sins can be forgiven. And he's not going to hold it against you, and we're not going to hold it against you. And you can be empowered to change. God can help you to change. And how can we come alongside you and help you to change? That's the goal. That's the goal. And so when there's all law but no hope, or here's another way we don't give gospel hope. We never, we never compliment our kids or specifically sort of uh, grace compliment them, recognize where God's at work in their life. If we never say, man, I see God at work in your life or something like that, 
we never point out, hey, you did well with this or whatever, then that's exasperating. I just feel like I'm a total failure. Now, they may view themselves that way. There may be some issues on their end, but we have to do all that we can to communicate that. That's discouragement when there's no hope for change, no hope for forgiveness. Let me say this as well. While I don't think it's the primary thing going on in Colossae, we can also, it it does say don't provoke lest they become discouraged. I think we can also provoke our children with an utter lack of discipline. There's two ditches here. One ditch is harsh, berating, critical, no gospel, no hope. But there's another one over here. There's another ditch which we just don't deal with our children. Then we set them up for a life of no consequences, of believing the world's all about me. And uh, we, they, they will be discouraged in the long run because they won't know how to function in life. Uh, I have a recent, as of the last year or two, fear of flying. And I've flown a lot over the years, but here's my fear of flying. It's, I don't fear that the plane's going to fall out of the sky or crash. I fear that I'm going to be on a plane where one of those viral videos happens where people are having a fist fight. I don't know if you, there are more people on airlines going nuts these days. And I just don't want to be on the one there where somebody's having yelling and fighting and having to be kicked off. I thought, man, this is like a controlled area. I don't really want to be in that context. And so I'm on a flight last week and uh, I thought, this is it. I'm going, this is going to go viral because I am sitting behind a lady And she's going off. Now, I want to say this. Uh, She may have had a bad day. She may have had a bad life. I don't know that this characterizes everything about her. But this was not her greatest moment. So she is on the plane. She's got like a three-year-old with her. And uh, so she had had words with the attendant. They had different disagreements. She She had already been saying rude things. The flight attendant, I heard them. And the flight attendant was phenomenal. This, this airline should become a phenomenal flight attendant. She was gracious. I was like, wow, I don't know if that was lazy Christian, but I could not be putting up with what she's putting up with. So uh, anyway, this lady's saying rude stuff to the flight attendant. So finally it comes time where they come on and say, okay, we'll be descending. You have to put on your seatbelt because we're going to be ascending in for our landing. And so the lady's got her three-year-old whatever, because the kid has a ticket, you know, his own seat. That three-year-old what plus kid in the lap and the flight attendant comes by again, uh, you're going to need to put your child in. No, I'm not going to buckle my child up, and uh, the child doesn't want to do that, and I can't make the child do that. And so the lady says, I'm sorry, you have to put your child in the seat. We are landing, to which point the lady says, you work for me. I don't work for you. The flight attendant is like, whoa, okay. This, again, I, I don't want my worst moments told in a sermon. I don't know this lady. She's in another part of the country. I trust, but there's an illustration here. So uh, finally, the lady was brilliant because at this point when she says, you work for me, I'm not putting her down. Then the lady says, if you drive a car, you have to put your kid in a car seat. It's illegal to allow your kid to ride in the seat at this age without a car seat. This is the same way. It's illegal not to buckle up your kid in the seat. The lady is defying it. So at this point, I'm saying, okay, i got to get my camera out because this, this is, we're about to go viral. And while I'm afraid of it, I, I still would like to get this on video, I, which I didn't. I didn't. I just said, no, I'll just tell it in a sermon that'll be podcast. So uh, anyway, so then the flight attendant was brilliant because it was getting intense. Really, I'm not going to. So then, and I'm going to see your supervisor. Well, okay, okay. So anyway, the lady says, okay, ma'am, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go up front. I'll be calling the police. 
when we land, the police will be at the gate to meet you and deal with this situation. She walks up, she gets on her phone, you know, we're assuming she's not faking it, so she's just talking, you know. And uh, then she just sits down, doesn't do anything. A lady has her, she's a, the lady just has her kid in her lap, no problem, you know, no problem. When we, when we uh, landed, uh, there was a police officer out there. I, went, I ended up going, had to go in front of them because the, the airline, well, long story, the airline needed to talk to the lady before they even let her off the plane, but there was a police officer out there, so it really did happen. But here was my point. I was just thinking as we were there, I was saying the child doesn't want to be in the seat, so the child doesn't have to, and I can't make the child go into the seat. Again, maybe it was a really bad moment. I get that. I've had kids on flights, and it's the worst. It's the worst. But I just thought, not even trying. She's not even going to try. No. the kid. My, here was being communicated. No one will tell me what to do. You work for me. No one will tell me what to do with my kid. And I won't tell my kid what to do. And I just thought, you know, if that's a lifestyle and not a bad moment, but a lifestyle, then to extend the metaphor, that child is being set up for turbulence ahead. You can, we can, on the other side of the issue, we can exasperate and provoke and discourage our kids by not faithfully parenting them, just like by over-parenting them either way. Neither use your authority to domineer your little ones and your teens and crush their spirits, nor neglect discipline and let them go free-range. Free range might be good for your chicken. It's not good for your kid. It is not good for your kid. Free range parenting. I don't know if I picked up, if that's a term somewhere, but I don't know. Maybe it is, but it should not be. We do not want our kids to be restricted. They're free range and they make their own decisions. That does not serve them either, nor does it train them to honor the Lord. So instead, relate to them as Christ relates to you. Totally different category. Totally different category. What does the gospel say? How is God related to you? In the same way, relate to your children. And God does discipline us. And God does love and encourage us. And God does forgive us. And God does communicate hope to us. God does share good news with us. And so we want to do the same with our kids. We can't empower our kids. We can't change their hearts so that they follow the Lord. But we can remove every possible thing we can that's embittering and provoking. We can do that the best we can by the grace of God. N.T. Wright says of this passage, I think this is really good. He says, the parent's duty is in effect to live out the gospel to the child. That is, to assure their children that they are loved and accepted and valued for who they are, not for who they ought to be, should have been, or might, if only they would try a little harder, become. Obedience must never be made the condition of parental love. A love so conditioned would not deserve the name. When the parent is obedient to the vocation, vocation means calling. When the parent is obedient to the vocation of genuine love, the child's obedience may become like that of the Christian to God, a glad and loving response. You can't force that or guarantee that. However, however, you can embitter your child on the other way by falling in either ditch, harsh or negligent. Now, my, my thought is, if you're like me, there's not a parent in the room that when they think about these things doesn't feel convicted by the Lord. And if you're a teenager, you may not be like a rebellious external kid, but in your heart, you have to know, yeah, I, I don't do what that verse says. And I guess I would just say, how has the Lord treated you as a dad, as a mom? How has the Lord treated you as a kid? 
He's treated you with grace so that you can return and ask forgiveness. Because with grace, it's never too late. What did we sing today? Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. You cannot out the mercy of God. You cannot, as a parent, out God's mercy. As a kid, you can't rebel, out-rebel the mercy of God. He will chase you down. As a church kid, he's going to chase you down. He loves you. He's the hound of heaven. He's going to chase you down. As a parent, he's going to chase you down with love and mercy and forgiveness and changing our hearts. So it's never too late for any of us. Young people, it's difficult to obey human parents. It's difficult to obey good parents. It's difficult to obey godly parents on Father's Day. I get it. I was a kid. Uh, It's difficult. But by the grace of God, he can change your heart so that you're obeying Christ as you honor your parents. And all of us, by the way, are called to something. I'm not under my parents' authority, obviously. Uh, my parents, I don't, I don't obey my parents. If you're on your own, you're older, you don't obey your parents. But we're always called to honor. We're always called to honor father and mother, the Bible says. It may be hard to honor adults. It may be hard to honor your parents because perhaps they don't ask, act honorably. Yet, if you will honor them by faith, and love them as Christ has loved you, it will bring please, pleasure to the Lord. Um, our hope is found in going deeper in our understanding of how God has treated us. That's the message for all of us. So if you're a young person today, it's, let's not think about your parents and their problems. If you're a parent, let's not think about your kids and their problems. Let, let's think about how has God treated me. And then let's have him move our heart, ask that he would move our heart, change our heart, and then from there allow that thought and that prayer to empower us to go and treat others as we have been treated. Let's pray. God, we thank you today for how you have treated us. Every young person in the room is a sinner. Every parent in the room is a sinner. Every person in the room is a sinner. But thank you that though our sins are many, your mercy is more. We pray that we would come to you today and receive your forgiveness. We ask you for forgiveness where we have failed in our closest relationships, our family. We ask that you would help us. We ask that you would forgive us. We ask that you would give us fresh strength, fresh encouragement. And we pray that we would be changed over time. We pray that we'd help one another change, that you would change our hearts to glorify you. Lord, for those who exercise authority in the workplace or in some other place, we pray that even in a context where others aren't Christians, that you might enable them to exercise authority and to treat uh, those they supervise as you have treated them. We pray for that, Lord, that that would be a witness in, in, the, in the workplace. And for every person in the workplace or in school who relates to a teacher or coach, uh, we pray that we would all be honoring of the authorities you've given us uh, in the workplace, that we would honor you in the way that we seek to be a blessing to them, and that that would be a testimony among students and workers and families. Lord, we just pray all of this, needing your grace and thanking you for this day. Pray that dads in the church would walk out of here not primarily aware of where we have failed, but primarily aware of how you have treated us and your mercy, which is new every morning. We grab that mercy today, Lord. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org.